Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. All right, remain standing, remain standing. Not for me. But I know some of y'all, no, 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 remain standing, not for me. Um, But I know some of y'all are guests. How many of y'all are at Summer Splash for the very first time? Yes! Um, I got to come for the first time, I think it was six years ago, I'm not sure. Pastor Jeff, six, seven years ago, and I just started blowing Brandy's phone up after that because I fell hard for y'all. You're gonna have a blast tonight. The speaker is mediocre, but the snacks and the after party are amazing. And listen to this, you get a massage. Everybody turn in that direction. Oh, go ahead and do it. This is not rhetorical. Grab the shoulders in front of you and squeeze her like you mean it. Those of y'all who are watching online, just rub yourself. All right, now just in case you're on an end or you have a wimpy rubber, turn in the opposite direction. There you go, there you go, there you go. All right, now I'm gonna give you one more little uh, biblical application. So don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Oh, some of y'all in the theater seats are sitting down. Get your tiny tails back up. This is from Leviticus. And if I'm heretical, Pastor Jeff will clean this up. When I say go, I want you to turn. And gentlemen, y'all are totally excused from this. And actually, you're gonna be scarred by this. I'm just warning you. So this is only for the women in the house. I want you to find somebody you like. And I want you to make eye contact with her. And then on the count of three, I want you to say, well, go ahead, find somebody you like, make eye contact. All right, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. On the count of three, this is biblical, you gotta trust me on this. On the count of three, I want you to say, baby girl. I didn't say three yet. (laughs) All right, on the count of three, I want you to say, baby girl, your behind looks tiny tonight. One, two, three. All right, now you may be seated. (laughs) You can be seated. That is, that is what we would call in seminary an exegetical stretch. It's not really biblical, but I like to say it's biblical because in the New Testament, Apostle Paul says, when we gather together in a community of faith, he says we should greet one another with a holy kiss. And pastor will tell you that in the first century, uh, they would kiss each other on the cheeks. Now, I don't care if you kiss me on the cheeks, but if you tell me my cheeks are little, I'm coming back to your church. Now, I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 in August, and so I have to... I have to qualify this by saying women my age like it when you tell us our posteriors are are smaller and I understand I am not at all sick or lit or whatever it is anymore that now some of y'all want Kardashian 
posteriors. And so I shouldn't have said, tell them it's small, just tell them it's amazing and, and <laughs> biblical and awesome and blessed and everything else. Um, I am so excited to get to be with y'all. Um, it is just an absolute privilege. I deeply, deeply respect uh, Pastor Jeff and Brandy. It is just, um, I'm so excited. Y'all are blowing that wall out to have more people at Milestone. I told, I told Pastor Jeff, I wish that Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm from, and this part of Texas, we're a little closer because I would definitely um, drive here for services if it was just a little bit closer. I love this house. I'm so tickled to come back when uh, Brandy very graciously asked me to come to my first summer splash. I was pretty sure she had gotten me confused with Lisa Turkhurst, who's, um, she's incredible. She's a dear friend. She's an amazing Bible teacher and author. Makes a lot more money in royalties than I do. Um, or Lisa Bevere, who's also a really, really godly, amazing woman who preaches in leather pants. And if I taught God's word in leather pants, it would sound like ducks were being killed. And so I was so tickled that Brandy asked me, despite my, uh, my lack of, of a lot of gifts that y'all deserve. Um, but what I, get to, what I get to just enthuse about tonight is that you don't have to have it all together to be absolutely adored and unconditionally loved by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I loved Mindy's testimony. I spend a lot of time in Nashville, Tennessee, volunteering with women who are in recovery. And um, besides y'all, that's about my favorite group of women to be with. I need to apologize to y'all too. I'm a spitter and I have <laughs> tried so hard to rein it in, but I, I'll see it and then I'm real kind of squirrel. I get real distracted when I see myself accidentally spit on people. So we're gonna call this whole front row um, just baptismal row. Um, if you're a milestone girl, you're not gonna be fulfilled, but if you're a guest Presbyterian, it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be just a sprinkling. But, um, but anyway, um, I volunteered at a place called The Next Door and a few other places in Nashville where women are in faith-based recovery programs. And I have never struggled with drugs or alcohol. Um, I grew up half Baptist. My mom is still alive. She's Baptist of the bone. My daddy started as Nazarene, but he had a hard time with monogamy. And so they kicked him out and he eventually landed in the assembly of God. And so I'm kind of Baptocostal. Um, but, um, but, Anyway, the, the Baptist part of me, um, I thought if I drank anything stronger than NyQuil, you know, there'd be a grease tube and I'd go straight to you know where. So I didn't struggle with those things, but I do at this point in my life consider myself to be a recovering addict because one of my favorite scholars, Dr. Ed T. Welch, he wrote a book called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. And in that book, he says that all addictions are ultimately a disorder of worship. Uh, don't quote me on that on Twitter. That's Dr. Ed T. Welch. Anything I say that's brilliant, I've plagiarized from somebody else. <laughs> but that just so resonated with me the first time I read it, that anything, meth, alcohol, for me it was abusive men and carbohydrates, anything that's not Jesus that we try to put in the biggest hole in our soul and our heart 
can become an addiction and it'll make us sick. And so I love being my, with my friends who are in active recovery and I love taking them to church, especially those who've just come out of TPW, Tennessee Prison for Women. And so I have two rules when I take them to church. I'm like, okay, y'all, I, I just have never loved the smell of cigarette smoke. And a lot of them smoke because as they get off meth and crack, usually they, the cigarettes are part of as, as they get completely clean. And so I said, y'all, I'm smoking my car, but you've got to roll down the windows because it makes me kind of sick. And then the second rule, I only have two rules, is I get to curate half the music because I want to introduce them to music like we were just singing so that they'll know that there's amazing worship music now. So I, half the music I choose. And then they get to choose the other half of what we play in the car on the way to church. But it can't be, it can't be misogynistic, can't have bad words, can't be ugly about women. And so we usually settle on the Commodores. And so <laughs> a lot of times I come rolling up into the church parking lot, smoke is billowing out of the windows, <laughs> and usually what's playing is, oh, she's a brick, bum, 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 house, and you can tell people look at this, and they're like, who is coming into church this morning? I'm like, I'm your Bible teacher, baby. I mean, it's just... <laughs> So much fun, but I had a, a group of girls who were in recovery at church not too long ago, and the girl to my left, precious young woman who uh, got involved in addiction when she, was, when she was in high school because she had some horrific abuse, which kind of bent her picker, and she picked a, a stinker of a guy to date, and he ended up abusing her, and she ended up before she knew it, selling her body at a truck stop. And by the grace of God, FBI agents broke into her trailer uh, the same day she was gonna commit suicide. So she, to this day, says, I believe those guys in flak jackets were actually angels disguised. Um, and it was in recovery that she turned back to Jesus. And so she's sitting in my left. She hadn't been in church in a long time. And our pastor started teaching about how the disciples were such a hot mess, how they didn't have it all together, how the majority of them, all but Paul and Matthew, because he was an IRS agent before he became an evangelist, <laughs> so he probably studied accounting in community college, but most of the disciples weren't uneducated. They had, some of them had massive mistakes in their bios. And Jesus called them to be his, his disciples, to be his emissaries, to be his ambassadors. And my friend Lindsay's next to me, and she's just leaning forward, taking it all in. And she hadn't been in church you know, in a really, really long time. And he was maybe five minutes into a sermon, and, and the church we go to isn't super wiggly, so not that many people yell out when he's preaching. But about five minutes into it, she just elbowed me real hard in the ribs, and she went, Miss Lisa, Jesus had a thing for losers, didn't he? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's better than I've ever heard it phrased in seminary. <laughs> Jesus had a thing for outliers and outcasts, people whose society marginalizes. The glorious truth of the gospel is we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. He is a good, good God. If you brought your Bible, turn to Luke's gospel. If you didn't bring your Bible, find somebody grinning around you with one. And um, I've already told y'all how old I am. And so how many of y'all are, I'm gonna say under 30, under 30. Ooh, yeah, baby, you got tight skin and a high metabolism. Um, 
I want to say two things to the under 30 women in the house. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to church on a Tuesday night. Uh, I, we are undone, those of us who are a little older, when we see y'all running hard toward Jesus, that is just wind in our sails. Um, the rest of us who are old, we didn't have anything else to do. We were fired up about Summer Splash. <laughs> But we know y'all had other things to do. We were just going to stay home in our stretchy pants and watch Netflix. But we knew y'all had other things. So thank you for coming out tonight. Number two. Now, this is kind of a big sister word or an, an auntie word. I've noticed that women under 30, and I'm not throwing shade. Um, and baby, if you take a picture of me from the waist down, I'm going to punch you in the throat. But... Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, just use a filter, use a really good filter, or get on a ladder. But anyway, I've noticed that young women, when they come to gatherings of faith, a lot of times they have their Bible on an iPad or, or their phone, and that is so cool, so cool. I'm so glad technology includes God's word. But hear me, under 30s, beautiful under 30s with beautiful skin and hair that's not yet chemically dependent. Hear me, if your only Bible has an on-off switch, that's like an old man in short shorts, that's just sad. Um, there will be seasons in your life if Jesus tarries that are difficult, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, I'm just saying that's life, and Jesus didn't punk us. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world in, in John's gospel, but in this world, sometimes the going gets tough. And I can tell you from experience that lying down with an iPad on your chest will not bring you any comfort. But there have been so many seasons, so many chapters in my story where I had these promises. It doesn't make it holier if it's bound by leather or bonded leather. That doesn't make it any holier. It just makes it tactile. And there have been seasons in my life that I couldn't sleep. Brandy, I bet you can identify with this, that I had to sleep with God's word, with these promises, because I, I, sometimes my heart and my mind are like colanders. They just leak. And I need to remember, and I'll look at my Bible and go, oh, that's right. That's a prayer he answered about my daddy. Oh, that's right. That's a prayer he answered when I became a mom through the miracle of adoption at the age of 50. Went through motherhood and menopause at the same time. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I remember the faithfulness of God through this love story that we call a Bible. This is not a rule book. It's not a collection of ancient morality tales. It is definitely not hate speech from the beginning to the end. This is a love story. It's a divine love story. Um, so anyway, please hear me. I know a lot of times it's something like Summer Splash. We don't bring our Bibles, and I totally get that. But I just, if you don't have a Bible, and Brandy's gonna talk later about how we've got Bibles for y'all who can't afford a brick-and-mortar Bible, please, please, please get one. It's just um, such a lifeline. Luke's gospel is about three or four inches from the front. Um, uh, the first four books in our New Testament are all called Gospels. That comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means the good news. And don't worry about the baby. I just heard a baby. I just told y'all I became a mom through the miracle of adoption at the age of 50. When I hear babies in church, that sounds like a musical miracle to me. Um, when I see Christians 
look over their shoulders and give young moms or dads or grandparents who are holding a baby dirty looks. I always pray they, they'll get hives. Um, I'm telling you, one place we should celebrate the sound of a baby is in church. Um, we've got four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four are literary compilations of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. They tell us stories about when Jesus was incarnate, when he was flesh and blood. Luke is the only one of those gospels that was written by a non-Jew. Actually, the only two books we have in our Bibles that were written definitively by a non-Jew are Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, which Luke also wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he actually wrote those together. If you're one of those saints who reads through the Bible in a year, when you get to the end of Luke's gospel, vault over John. Because when they canonized scripture, they inserted John between Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. But Pastor Jeff will tell you, Luke actually wrote those two together. They're like Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. And there's just incredible symmetry about the compassion of Jesus. Luke writes more about the compassion of Jesus than the other gospel writers because he was an outsider. Because he knew what it was to not really fit. He has more stories about Samaritans. The other gospel writers, which I love, that's Holy Writ, but they usually talk about Samaritans and it's pejorative. Luke makes him the hero in the story. He's the only one who gives us the story of the good Samaritan. He gives us stories about tax collectors who are heroes. He gives us a ton of stories about women. Women in the first century, y'all, we had less value than a good milk cow. One of the common rabbinical proverbs was um, better that Torah, part of the Old Testament, be burned than read by a woman. Rabbis would pray, bless thou Yahweh that I was not made a woman. Luke gives us these incredible stories about women. He gives us incredible stories about people that culture would say didn't fit didn't have it all together, needed to clean themselves up first about those people being absolutely adored by Jesus. He talks about the closeness of King Jesus. Our God is perfectly holy. He is transcendent. But he condescended, we just sang about that. He condescended to be imminent, a God that we can touch, a God that we can lean into. That miracle blows my mind. Fancy word for that is the hypostatic union. He is perfectly God and perfectly accessible incarnate at the same time. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 11 that highlights the accessibility of our creator, redeemer, and how you don't have to be perfect to access him. Now, the beginning of Luke 11 is where we find the Lord's prayer. I'm not going to go into the Lord's Prayer. I know Pastor Jeff has taught on that much, much better than I can. What I will say is Jesus is the only rabbi in the first century who addresses Yahweh, God the Father, as dad. That blew their minds. The other rabbis, the other spiritual leaders, the other Pharisees during the time of Christ had all these titles through which they would address the creator of the universe. Jesus says, let me tell you how to pray, dad. Is that not just stunning? He says, you have a relationship with him. You don't have to go through a high priest. 
You don't have to kill a goat or a cow. You just get to come before him and call him dad and trust the psalmist when he says he inclines his ear to listen to us. Those of y'all who are new to church, maybe this is your first time in a community of faith like this. Maybe you're punked. You thought you were coming to an essential oils conference tonight. <laughs> thought we're gonna get splashed with peppermint or something. I want it so encourage you, if you hear nothing else that we say or sing tonight, to understand that God makes himself accessible to us. He's holy and he's oh so kind. So kind. Jesus says you can call him dad. And then he tells them a story. Luke chapter 11, verse five. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, if you have your Bible or those of you online and stretchy pants, underscore impudence. We're gonna come back to that in just a second. Yet because of his impudence, verse eight, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Verse nine, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, We'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, again, underline that if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus starts telling a story. Actually, half of Jesus' sermons are in story form, parabolic form. He says, let me tell you a story. I've just told you, you get to access the creator of the universe as dad. Let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about there's a guy who's in bed, so he's already turned off HBO or ESPN or JNN, the Jerusalem News Network. He's already set Simply Safe. He's in bed. And the neighbor next door has a friend who comes over late, hasn't texted him, totally surprises him, and he doesn't have anything to give this guy to eat. Evidently, there was no Taco Bell drive through in this neighborhood in the Middle East. And so the neighbor comes over to the guy's house who's already in bed and starts banging on the door. We don't really get this. It doesn't make that much sense in 21st century culture because we don't understand the hospitality culture in the ancient Near East in the first century. You always had bread in your home. Women baked as a community every single week. It would be just unthinkable for you to run out of bread. Doesn't that sound amazing? This is a rabbit trail, but I hope it's redemptive. I think keto is from the devil. Um, <laughs> Because Jesus calls himself the bread of life, not the kale of life. So I'm just saying, <laughs> you would always have bread in your home if you lived in first century Semitic culture. It was just a given. So the fact that the neighbor next door runs out of bread is just almost unthinkable in their culture. And then he has the audacity 
Luke calls it the impudence. That word in the Greek is anadea or anadea, the smart people pronounce. Pastor Jeff, do you pronounce it anadea or anadea? Probably anadea. Pastor Jeff's much smarter than I with, with syntax. So anadea means basically audacious impudence. Interesting thing is that word is a hapax legomenon. That means it's only used one single time in all of scripture. You won't find that word anywhere else in the New Testament. There's a historian named Josephus. He uses that word and it's always in the pejorative context. It's always negative. So it says because of this guy's audacious impudence, the sleeping dad finally gets up and opens the door. And we usually focus on the fact that he's banging on the door. And I used to always have a mental image of somebody who banged on a door and interrupted me when I was asleep. And it happened not too long ago at a hotel because I travel about 150 days for work. And so I spend a lot of nights in hotels. And, you know, some of the hotels I go to have those little chains still over the door. And I was in one of those hotels and I'd fallen asleep. And somebody just started banging on my hotel door like crazy. And I got up pretty quickly because a few weeks before that, I was in a hotel and there was a fire. And it wasn't a pretend fire drill. It was a real straight up fire. And so I think I had just a little bit of that still in my psyche. So when somebody started banging on the door, I got up real quick because I thought maybe it was a fire. And um, I, I was not wearing something that was that presentable because I was by myself in the hotel room, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm about to be fried. So I jump up, I run to the door and I had the presence of mind right when I opened the door to, to not undo the chain. So, you know, only open like, like, I don't know, four inches, something like that. Well, as soon as I opened the door, this hairy hand jams through the hole and this guy who looked like just crazed Albert Einstein hair started going, Becky, Becky. And I was like, I'm not Becky. And then I smelled the, the beer. And then I could hear a girl in the door, the room next to me hollering, Jeffrey. Je and I was like, wrong door, wrong door. <laughs> and that's what I think of is, you know, you're just kind of just totally discombobulated when somebody bangs on the door, especially if it's the middle of the night. And this dad tells the neighbor, go away. I'm already in bed, but because of his impudence, because he is just a nutter when it comes to banging on the door, the dad finally gets up and gives him some pita or some wheat thins or whatever he has in his pantry. And then Jesus says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And so most of us completely ignore, now this is a fancy word, but hang with me, don't take mental field trips. Most of us completely ignore the parabolic symbolism. Parabolic symbolism just means who these characters represent. If you've got a dad or a king or a vineyard owner in one of the stories Jesus is telling, who does that always represent? Y'all talk back, I'm not your pastor. God always represents God. Always, always, always. The daddy in the stories Jesus tells is always God. The master is always God. The owner is always God. So, so the daddy in bed is God. Now, one of my mentors, uh, 
finishing up a doctorate at Denver Seminary, dumbest person in my doctoral program, but one of my mentors is a, a gentleman named Dr. Craig Blomberg, and he's considered to be one of the foremost experts on the parables in the world today. I usually love all the dead theologians. I love all the dead guys. I have them tattooed all up the back of my legs. Um, but Dr. Blomberg's still alive. He's brilliant. Dr. Blomberg says the fella banging on the door represents an unbeliever. There's no theological consensus on that, but I, I love that idea that the guy banging represents somebody who does not yet know God. Now, our application is almost always so bang harder, bang harder to get God's attention because he's a sleepyhead. Does that sound like it matches with the rest of scripture to you? The tertiary character, fancy word for the third character in this story, are the children. In parables, who do the children always represent? The children of God, us. Where are the children of this fella in this story? They're in bed with a sleepy daddy. That's super normal. That's not bad boundaries. That's super normal in the first century. The, the Jewish people had just really small one-room homes. I was just in Israel in March. Most Jewish families, even the wealthy, still build their homes up instead of out. Very, very communal society. First century, the parents slept with the kids. There was one bed. It was a family debt bed. And so Jesus is telling this story to people who understand that culture. So they would immediately understand the kids are right there in bed with the dad. Missy and I went to Kalispell, Montana, about midway through COVID. A really good friend of mine and his wife, Levi and Jenny Lesko, have a church in Montana. And as soon as restrictions lifted, Levi invited Jenny and I to come to Montana to be at his church, Fresh Life Church. And I was so excited. I was stir crazy during COVID. We live way out in the boonies. And I just kept looking for projects to do. And I accidentally um, ran a chainsaw. I'm single, by the way. I've never been married. My husband has lost once. Stopped to ask for directions. And so I have a lot of power tools. And I have five acres. And I just thought, there is a bush over there in the side yard that I've never liked. It was a huge bush. And I thought, I'm just going to chainsaw it. And so I got a chainsaw. I have three, by the way. I think somehow if I put that on eHarmony, I will get a man who drives a truck, but I took my chainsaw, and as I'm chainsawing this bush, I am a real delayed responder, and I smelled propane, and I thought, there are sparks at the end of the chainsaw, and I thought, oh, I just cut through a pro propane line, I almost killed us, and so I thought it would probably be good for me to get out of the house, I'm going stir crazy, so when Levi called, I just mortified some of you, we're going to get back to the Bible in just a second, when... <laughs> When Levi called, I was really excited that we got to go to his church. And there's no direct flights from Nashville to Montana. So we went through Chicago and then we had to wait forever because you know, there weren't as many flights uh, kind of middle of COVID. Finally, we get to Kalispell, Montana. We've been traveling for something like eight hours. My daughter's here with me tonight. She is 13. At this point, she was 11 and a half. And we get there and, and I said, baby, you know, we've got some time before the sun goes down and we weren't gonna be at church until the next morning. I said, you know, we're right by the lake. Do you wanna take a, a canoe ride? And she said, no, ma'am. 
And I said, well, there's some great hikes around here. Do you want to go on a hike? No, ma'am. And I said, well, you know, we came through a darling little town and there was an ice cream store. You want to go to downtown? No, ma'am. And I tend to be a little, you know, not the sharpest tool in the shed. So it took me a minute to realize, I think I'm getting on her nerves <laughs> because, you know, she's becoming a teenager. And I said, honey, am I getting on your nerves? And she said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and she said, is that disrespectful, mom? And I said, no, baby, that's not disrespectful. That's totally normal. I said, you said it very kindly. I said, here's the deal. We've got a couple of hours before we're going to go to bed. So how about I draw an imaginary line down this hotel room and you've got some homework to do. And so you can do your homework, then you can play games or whatever on your iPad. You can be on that side and I've got some homework to do. So I'll stay on this side. And if you need me, just let me know. But if you don't need me, I'm telling a story about you, baby. I said, if you don't need me, you can just stay on that side by yourself. I won't bug you. She was like, yes, ma'am. Well, we stayed in that kind of companionable silence with an old, pale mama and a perfect Haitian teenager. We stayed in that companionable silence for probably two hours. And then it was time to brush our teeth and go to bed. And so we did that, still pretty quiet, not grumpy, just quiet. Missy got in her hotel bed. I got in my hotel bed. Maybe 30 seconds passed at the most. And then my miracle of a daughter said, Mom. And I said, yeah, baby. And she said, will you please come over here and scratch my back? <laughs> because if you don't scratch my back, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to sleep. And I responded, absolutely not. <laughs> you climb out of the window and you go down the fire escape and you get in the snow and then you go to the front of the hotel and you speak to the concierge. And then if the concierge brings you to our floor, you knock on the door and then I'll consider whether I let you back in this room or not. Did I say that? <laughs> no. The second she said, Mama, will you come scratch my back? I leapt from my bed to hers and I brought snacks. I love my kid. I love my daughter. Jesus says, how much more? He uses Latin logic. It's called a fioritori logic. It goes from the lesser to the greater. He says, how much more? If you've got an old chick like Lisa Harper who talks too much and is infatuated with carbs, how much more of that mama would never give her child a scorpion if she asked for a piece of fish? How much more does our heavenly father love his children? Y'all, he's accessible. He is so accessible. We sang he's a good, good God. And so many of us will fill in Bible study blanks about that. We'll Instagram memes about that. But there's a corner in our heart that wonders, does that good God really, really, really love me? I became a Christ follower when I was five years old, right after my dad left us to go be with another woman and her son. And I was so devastated by my dad leaving us that the next week when my mom took us to a new church, because the church we were in, some of the women disguised gossip as prayer requests, 
um, we went to a new church and when Brother Jimmy, this new pastor, talked about how God is a heavenly father who doesn't leave his children, I was so undone by that that even as a five-year-old kid, I was just compelled by the idea that I could have a heavenly father who wouldn't leave me. So they sang just as I am. Pastor, remember when they would sing just as I am like 15 or 20 times at the end of a service? And I was standing up, holding to the back of a pew. How many of y'all are under 30 again? <laughs> Baby pews are long wooden benches we used to <laughs> sit on in church. I was holding on to the back of a pew and I was just so undone by the idea that I could have a God who actually was accessible, who loved me, that after a while I went down front and I told Brother Jimmy that I wanted Jesus to be my savior. I didn't understand what I was doing. I was five years old. I was bringing Jesus all my heart, but it was a, you know, I just didn't understand much. As best I could understand as a little girl, he had saved me from my sin. I understand it, understood at some level that my heart was dirty and I needed Jesus to save me from my sin. Um, what I didn't understand at five or at 15 or at 25 or at 35 after my first go around in seminary, what I didn't understand was that God didn't just send Jesus to deliver me from my sins. God sent Jesus because he delights in me. I couldn't begin to believe that. I thought that was a fairy tale. I could believe it for you. But by the time I was five years old, there had already been quite a bit of molestation and sexual abuse in my story. So I just felt filthy. And I thought, even though I've given my heart to Jesus, I just need to kind of keep my head down and be a good girl. Because there's no way a holy God like that could ever actually get close to a dirty girl like me. So I memorized a lot of verses. I went to church every time the doors were open. I filled in more Bible study blanks than I can shake a stick at. And I would talk about the accessibility of God, but I felt like there is just no way I can get that close to a holy God because I'll sully his reputation. It really wasn't until I was a grown woman. Our God is so good. He's so kind. We sang that he pursues us. That's not a hyperbolic lyric. The end of Psalm 23, when it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you know the verb there isn't a caboose. It's not saying goodness and mercy are tagged onto the back of us. It's saying God actually pursues us with goodness and mercy. He's a good God. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. Sin is a big deal. Sin separates us from the holiness of God. If sin wasn't a big deal, Jesus could have just done detention. He wouldn't have had to go to the cross. But grace is greater still. There is no sin so dirty, so despicable, so horrific that it can catapult you outside of the goodness and the compassion of God. All you have to do is say, I can't make it by myself. I'm sorry. 
I need your love, I need your healing, I need your acceptance. My pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, who raised me up, who helped me understand the goodness and the grace of God after I'd already stopped wearing pants with zippers, was in stretchy pants. His name is Pastor Scotty Smith, he's a great man. And my favorite story Scotty tells took place really early in, in his ministry. He had just graduated from seminary. He had just become an associate pastor at a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And he was asked to preside over a wedding between two very, very wealthy families in Nashville. So South Lake gated community, Beamer kind of families. <laughs> and Scotty said he was nervous as a cat because he was a young pastor. He said he just didn't wanna mess it up because it was a very formal wedding. So he said he wore his robe that he got at seminary graduation and he was standing at the front of a church and it wasn't a church like Milestone. It's one of those real formal churches you know, with a big pipe organ. Scotty said he was standing at the front of the church and he said the, the bridegroom came in to his left because it was a formal wedding. He was wearing a tux with tails. All of his groomsmen were wearing tuxes. He said, then the bridesmaids came down the center aisle and they were all wearing couture gowns and they lined up to his right. He said, then the pipe organ began to play and the bride appeared at the back of the church on the arm of her father. Bride was wearing gorgeous couture gown. Her dad was also in a tux with tails. And Scotty said, before he could react, the bridegroom, when he saw his bride, just jumped out of position and started running up the aisle toward her. Scotty said he had to hike up his road, jump off the platform, chase down the bridegroom, grab him by the back of the tux and just pull him. <laughs> back into position. And he said, y'all, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. All the stories he tells are about a God who gets close to us, a God who loves us, a God who says, you don't have to curate your emotions. Mindy didn't have to go through all step, 12 steps and get it right. All she had to do was say, I need you to heal me. I need you to heal me. And in that moment, he turned and he said, I've been waiting for you, baby. Arms wide open. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? I know I'm a guest in this house and forgive me if that sounds bossy or religious. Um, not at all trying to be formal or religious. I just want you to know you are safe in this place. You're not gonna be manipulated or exploited. We just want you to know that you're safe. Nobody's looking around. If somebody next to you is, a sharp elbow to the ribs usually works wonders. <laughs> if you want a real relationship with Jesus Christ, Brandy and I are the only ones with our eyes open right now. If you want a real relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe your whole life, You've thought, I'm just not good enough. How could a God like that actually come close to a dirty, damaged woman like me? Maybe you came to Christ as a young woman, but you really messed up. Or someone absolutely broke your heart. You've done something that you feel like separates you from God or something was done to you that you think, I, I can never get clean again. The cry of your heart is to be loved by God, but you've just wondered if you're good enough. If tonight you wanna be close to Jesus, you wanna be held by the God who loves you more than you can possibly ask or imagine, you wanna be loved with a love that won't ever let you go, or you wanna come back 
to Jesus after a season of wandering, a season in the wilderness, maybe a season where you've carried so much guilt and shame, you just don't feel like you can carry the weight of your life anymore. Again, please don't look around, y'all. Please be respectful for the image bearers around you, especially those who took a huge risk to come to church tonight. Some of them have been wounded in a church environment. To come back to church tonight was a big deal for some of us. If you're on the right-hand side of the room and that's the cry of your heart, you wanna be found by Jesus. You wanna be forgiven by Jesus. You wanna be close to Jesus. Would you just slip up your right or your left hand? Now, welcome to the family, honey. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Middle of the sanctuary. Just slip up your hand. You want a real relationship with Jesus. You want to be held, set free. You want to come home. Welcome to the family, beautiful. Welcome, 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 welcome. In the balcony, slip up your hand. You want a real relationship with Jesus. Welcome, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Left-hand side of the sanctuary. Oh, welcome home, honey. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. Oh, he loves you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. We're going to pray what is commonly called a sinner's prayer tonight. That makes it sound fancy. Y'all, all this is is a practical application of a promise in the New Testament that says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God who condescended to this earth in a suit of skin to be accessible to us, if you believe He's the Savior, you confess that with your mouth and you believe it in your heart. So you're not just, you're not just praying something emotional. You're not just reciting a rote prayer, but in your heart, you believe that he's your hope, that he'll be your peace, that he's the love that you've been looking for. It says if you confess that and you believe that, then he will create a relationship with you through the work and person of the Holy Spirit. He will love you more than you can possibly imagine. So instead of just having the 40 or so who raise their hands, who are meeting Jesus for the first time or coming home to Jesus, instead of just having them pray it, let's all pray this very informal prayer out loud. This is just a way of saying we are a mess and we need a Messiah. Some of you have been walking with Jesus longer than I have. You're not getting saved again. This is just a way of reminding yourself of a miracle. And it's a way of practically circling the wagons around these friends who are praying it for the first time to say, we've got your back. We're a sisterhood. So will you repeat after me and repeat it loud and proud, baby. Dear Jesus, I'm a hot mess. I can't make it by myself. Jesus, I have done things, committed sins that have separated me from you, separated me from the holiness of my heavenly Father. And Jesus, things have been done to me that have broken my heart, that have flat messed me up. I need your forgiveness and I need your healing. I believe you are my only hope. I believe you're the one true God. Here's my heart, Jesus. I give you all of it. 
I put my faith in you and you alone. Thank you for your forgiveness and your unconditional love. Teach me what it is to rest in your compassion and help me to walk and live in a way that honors you all the days of my life. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.